You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Welcome to In Context, where we look at God's Word in the context it was intended, and we apply it to the context of our life. Joining us on the broadcast today is Eric Tietzel. He is the founder and principal of Public Square, a consulting firm that specializes in faith and public policy. Prior to that, he served as the director of faith outreach for the Marco Rubio campaign. And prior to the campaign, he was the director of the Manhattan Declaration, a national movement of Christians for life, marriage, and religious freedom. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Well, thanks for having me. Things are good in Kansas? Yeah, things are great. Well, let's jump right into just an easy segue comment. You've been described (laughs) as a major millennial, anti-gay, anti-choice culture warrior by your opponents. (laughs) So unpack that any way you want to go, Eric. Actually, I have that on my business card. Good Uh, for you. No, it's an interesting time. At some point in life, you just have to make a decision as a believer. You just have to say, I'm either going to live out what I think is taught throughout the scripture, this idea that to lose your life is to find it, and that the best possible thing that you can do is just to give yourself over to God and let him take you and use you as he sees fit without regard for what the world thinks of you or what the world's priorities ought to be or anything else. Or you cannot do that. And you can live in fear and constant trepidation about pleasing people and doing and saying the right things and being on, quote, you know, the right side of history, unquote, for various reasons that I won't get into. I I made the decision to just give my life to God. And that's given me the opportunity to do some really cool things. It's given me the opportunity to be called some names, but I'm not too worried about those things. When you look at the current election cycle, and obviously you hitched your wagon to Rubio, for a period of time, and, and that didn't uh, work out the way he would have wanted. It's unprecedented. We hear that again and again in, in all coverage of media that there's been nothing like this campaign. Uh, what's your take on the cycle? What's your take on why we are where we are with these two candidates? Let's <laughs> start with a big That's deep right. breath. Yeah, it is an extraordinary time. I, like everyone else, did not see this coming and feel a bit lost and trying to wrap my hands around all of the reasons that have brought us to the point where we are. I think that it was kind of a perfect storm of factors, particularly on the Republican side, where you have 17 candidates who divided up the vote and made it such that any of the 14 who I would consider to be credible candidates for the presidency kept each other from getting there. And some of the guys on on the outskirts, uh, in particular, Donald Trump was able to survive as a result. I think you do have a number of very real and important, legitimate social and economic factors that have given Donald Trump uh, a platform and really excited a certain segment of the population to get behind him. That's something that the Republican Party is going to have to grapple with more seriously as we deal with the aftermath of this election and moving forward. I also think that it says something about the forces that have been shaping our society for many years related to entertainment and amusement and what we value, what we take seriously and what we don't. A reality TV star 
is the nominee for president of the United States and a former governor of Texas is now on a reality TV show. This is a weird, <laughs> weird situation, but one that, that we should have seen coming. And some people did. We talk about what it is that has really started to motivate us. We're not a country anymore that would participate in, in the Lincoln-Douglas debates where for hours we talk about philosophy and public policy. Instead, we, we watch TV and that's legitimacy and authenticity. And I think that we are now fully into a brave new world. You showed up at a Donald Trump meeting. He, there was an invitation in June for evangelical leaders. I was invited, but fortunately I was out of the country, so I couldn't come. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a lot of my friends were there. A lot of your friends were there. Eric was over on the side with a hand-made uh, poster, and you lovingly said on that poster, Torture is not, underlined, pro-life. Racism is not, underlined, pro-life. Misogyny is not pro-life. Murdering the children of terrorists is not pro-life. And then you put Proverbs 29.2, which reads, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. So you didn't mince words on your feelings. <laughs> you, you got some flash reaction from that, no doubt. I did. Yeah. I only wish I had a bigger sign. Uh, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, not something that I had planned. I actually wasn't even invited to that meeting. I was in the city for some other work. And as you mentioned, I, I knew a bunch of the folks who were going to be at this meeting. Many of them I call friends, most of whom I called colleagues uh, at the very least. My original intent was just to go and to talk and just to try to persuade them or even to be persuaded myself that I was thinking wrongly about all of this. As I walked towards the hotel, I was just filled with the sense that it wasn't enough to do that, that um, there's all this media, there's this narrative forming that the Christian church is behind Donald Trump with full-throated vigor, and that's not true. And I felt the burden of responsibility to do what I could in my own small way to counter that narrative and to say, no, there are still those of us out there who see this person for who he is and are trying to to speak out. Uh, didn't think anything would happen of it. I, I, I know this reporter for Yahoo News who happened to be at the event and we were chatting. He asked me what I was up to and I told him I hadn't been invited and I was standing outside with a sign. He said, no, you didn't. And I pulled it out of my bag and he asked if he could take a picture. And the next thing I knew, there was this article that kind of blew up. So I don't know. People are uh, are in a tough spot when it comes to this. And I don't know what the right answer is, Michael. Maybe you can help. I, I just, as a relatively young guy, I'm concerned about the next four years. That's the reason I quit my job to work for a different candidate. But I'm concerned about the next 40 years, too. And I just have a hard time sacrificing my own principles, my own beliefs, my own character, it feels like to me, to support a man who is, to use a hot term, uh, deplorable. Okay, let's go to the one of the more frequent things we hear is to not vote for Trump is de facto a vote for Hillary. And ancillary to that, a third party is a de facto vote for Hillary. How do you respond to that line among believers who say, look, I am pro certain things, I'm anti certain things, I, I agree Trump is not the guy I want, but if I don't vote, I'm tossing it to the Democrat. If I do vote, I'm voting for a flawed candidate. Yeah, a few thoughts. If my non-vote for Trump is a de facto vote for Hillary, is my non-vote for Hillary a de facto vote for Trump? <laughs> Does it all just sort of wash out in the end? 
I don't understand that logic, and I think it's flawed. Second of all, there's more at stake here than just this option between two bad things. As someone who has said, I'm not voting for Donald Trump, I have to constantly remind people that I'm also not voting for Hillary Clinton, and there are plenty of good reasons. There are also plenty of good reasons to still go out and vote. Even if I plan to leave the top of the ticket blank, all the more reason to vote for senators and congressmen and local representatives who I do believe in, at least within the bounds, and who can be a a hedge against bad actions on the part of the executive, no matter who the executive happens to be. So that's what's motivating me to go to the polls. And I hope other people will as well. From a biblical perspective, I just don't see grounds to sacrifice our principles, our ethics, our character, and most importantly, our witness to the gospel. Okay, okay. to that Um, point, to that point, though, has there ever been a candidate we could vote for then? Absolutely, there is. Let's look back on the last three decades of presidents. Yeah. Let's go back. I mean, Reagan was certainly in a colorful character. Now, we all have this overstated history of Reagan, as there is of JFK. Um, right. But were First these... president to pass a no-fault divorce law. He right. was divorced himself. Boom. Boom. Uh, his, uh, on and on. That's right. So, That's so right. where does the scale tip to say, okay, this guy, he's been divorced three times. He's admitted to affairs versus lying and deception on one side of the party. I mean, we can go back and forth all day. They're all flawed candidates. That's right. right. They are all flawed candidates. And it's important, first and foremost, that we remember, put not your faith in princes in whom Absolutely. there is no salvation. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's bracket it that way and say there is no such thing as a perfect godly candidate. And that's okay because my hope is not in American politics. I don't expect agents of the American government to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. That's not my belief system. So I'm just looking at public policy and the extent to which public policy can be a way that I love my neighbor, a way that I seek the welfare of the city, a way that I am an agent of positive change for others. Not the only way, but a way. Romans 13 talks about agents of the government as ministers because of the way that they enact justice on the earth. So there's this really important role for government, but we have to bracket it off from the rest of God's redemptive plan for the world. So I'm not looking for a savior. It is a matter of conscience for each and every one of us, I think, to look at candidates and say, can I support this person? Let me interrupt you. So you're going to vote downstream for candidates. Are all those candidates going to align with holding the same values and belief systems that you are not willing to vote for the two current candidates? Much more than he is. Yes. Yes. Okay. Much more. So where's the gradient? And if we go to Romans 13, which is, you know, a whetstone for all of us, Paul's writing to believers in Rome, Roman occupation has, uh, trumped the Jewish worldview, we might say. Now, there was certainly a peaceable time prior to Titus coming along the scene, but when we go to the old city in Jerusalem, you'll see the whole history of how the Jews were able to live in peace under a very corrupt government, an empire, but we had that freedom of religion notion that we brought to this experiment, right? So America is this 240-year notion that you can have freedom of religion, And we can certainly go back and find card-carrying, Bible-believing presidents of our history, but where does that fulcrum go too far for Eric to say, you know, okay, 
they've been divorced or married. They're maybe they're pro life, maybe they're not, but they're a good person. They go to church. They say the right things. They're going to vet good people for SCOTUS. So where's that line? Right. Well, there are different categories here, and I don't know exactly what the mix is, but I'm looking at character is one category. I'm looking at policy as a second category, and and there may be some other some other factors. A third one might be just competence, qualification for the office. I think that Donald Trump fails all three of those categories. In other elections, there might be a candidate who fails in just one of the three. And in that case, I would have to make a determination and say, do I feel that in good conscience, I can support this flawed person? And in most cases, I have decided that I could. This is such an extreme example where you have someone on the character front who has completely and totally failed in some unimaginable ways. I mean, it's not just that he's divorced and an adulterer. It's that he mocks the disabled. It's that he has made a fortune stealing from vulnerable people, whether in the form of diffing subcontractors or making promises about Trump University that weren't true. He fails on the character front. On the qualification front, he fails. This is a person who has no idea about public policy at all. In one debate, Marco Rubio had to save his bacon by explaining to him what the nuclear triad is. Now, I'm an everyday citizen. I knew what a nuclear triad is. I'm pretty involved in policy. I have no business being president of the United States because I'm not smart enough. This isn't a good first job for someone who wants to get involved in government. You shouldn't start there. There are some pretty basic professional qualifications. Okay, let's just say, apply. in theory, I agree with you. That said, we got a seventh grade educated population. They don't know any of this. They don't know policy. We don't know our history. We forgot 9-11 already, 15 years later. Right. And so we're dealing with a population base that they're so behind what we're talking about. How can we expect even card-carrying people that love Christ, love God, go to a church, you know, give their tithe, whatever, to understand these issues? Well, I don't expect every citizen to understand the ins and outs of every public policy. That, that's unreasonable. But I don't think it's unreasonable to expect people to expect their president to be pretty good when it comes to public policy. And there are hundreds of men and women who know public policy and are in that way qualified to be an executive over this massive government bureaucracy that we have. And that's essentially what the job of the president is. And unfortunately, Donald Trump is just not qualified. And the third bucket then is on policy. And this is the one where I just, okay, if you're willing to overlook character or to say, well, Hillary's character is bad too, okay. And if you want to look at professional qualifications and say, well, we've had professional politicians for decades and the system is screwed up, maybe we need an outsider. I disagree, but but okay. Well, then let's just look at what they would actually do. Donald Trump has given more money to Hillary Clinton than he's ever given to another Republican. <laughs> he is someone who has lauded the work of Planned Parenthood. He is someone who has come out and said that he wants to impose massive trade restrictions and tariffs. He is someone who believes in eminent domain and the power to take private property from citizens and use it for, for government's interests. I could go on and on and on about the ways that this person does not subscribe to Republican Party principles. So he fails on all three counts for me. And at the end of the day, in my conscience, makes it a pretty easy decision to say, I'm, I'm going to sit that one out. 
for the good of the party and, and the country. You have said a lesson I've learned from this cycle is very few Christians actually live according to a biblical worldview. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. I think this cycle has taught me we have done a terrible job teaching everyday Christians to live out their faith. So the seventh grade, and I don't mean it to be condescending, I probably should come up with a better title, but the seventh grade educated populace that watches mainstream television programs we mentioned, uh, how do you help them understand even what you just articulated, the character of a candidate, his qualifications, uh, does he or she understand policy? And that, that was one thing, you know, before I moved to D.C., I had no clue the importance of policy because it's not taught in civics. It's not taught in college unless right. you're studying political science. And to understand the right. policy writers, these staff writers, are really the ones making law, not the candidate. Right. So yeah. how can we help them as uh, you know, citizens of two kingdoms, we might say, of two worlds, in a very basic primer, you know, what, what yeah. this is about? Well, I think it requires leadership. And in particular, it requires leadership from the pulpit. For too long, the Christian political witness has been mindlessly associated with the Republican Party. And there were good reasons why. Uh, I'm not saying that it didn't make any sense. One party is for protecting the lives of unborn babies, and one party is not. So that's a pretty good reason to be with the Republican Party. And it goes to, to my point, which is, at the end of the day, we must not be simply a a demographic that's part of the Republican coalition in order to win elections. Well, ar arguably, We're called to be salt and light. Our our responsibility is to follow the principle, not the party. And that's what my sign meant. The dignity of every human life is the reason why we care about unborn babies. God created them in his image, in the womb. But that same ethic applies throughout life, from womb to tomb. So many of the policies of our current nominee are a violation of that same basic ethic of life, which is why I don't believe him. I don't believe that he's going to do the things that people hope he's going to do when it comes to this crucial issue and others. And as a Christian, I have a responsibility to the principle and not to the party. And I think that's the kind of leadership that we need to hear more. And it's hard because for generations now, we have this structure in place, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction. And you can see the pushback that has come upon the voices that have tried to start doing this. And, and there's good reason to criticize some of those voices, too, because I'm not arguing that what we need to do is adapt and adopt more of the policies of the Democratic Party. That's not the solution. God is not a Republican, and he's not a Democrat. He's right. a monarch. He's a king, and he's the only king we should ever give ourselves to wholly. In the meantime, until his kingdom comes manifest on the earth, our job is not to be, as I said, just a demographic of a particular party or another party. It's to stand resolutely on the principles of the Bible wherever they may lead and to let that witness shine out to the world. And I think if we do that, we're going to find that all of a sudden people are interested in what we have to say. And actually, ironically, we might stop being taken for granted and start actually having the opportunity to influence and to make a difference when it comes to policy. We've been talking to Eric Tietzel, founder and principal of Public Square, a consulting firm specializing in faith and public policy. Eric, thanks for being on the program. Have a question or comment about today's show? 
send Michael a note on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thanks again for listening.